0: Hey, <laughs> hey, time uh, right. Thank you for having me. I've been following your work since uh, ever. Um, I could say you're of the least people that actually the things you wrote back in the early '90s. You were the pioneer, as always. Uh, we're still seeing your work uh, every time you're ahead. We always chat about you know keto or uh, you know low carb, high carb, old diets, and new name will pop up. BS diet, whatever. Yeah. The question that I want to start with is why do old diets fail? Well, let's talk about behavior. Let's talk about the animal. Sure.
1: Yeah. And I think, and, you know, and I'll be honest, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this a really long time. And when I was younger, I certainly had a very a more simplistic attitude in the sense that it's very easy to think of humans as just like, a gut and a brain and a nervous system, Mm -hmm. right? And that's, I mean, animals are like that. And sort of just as a random, I think one of the most eye-opening papers I ever read is a guy, a researcher named Juan de Castro. And he was talking about real world eating behaviors and the fact that people more on the weekend than during the week, like, I mean, and realize this was like mid nineties. I know this is a common thing now, but one of the more interesting things he found, the larger the number of people at a meal, the more people typically eat and there's a very robust relationship between the number and me being who i am i'm like you know what i could make an hand-waving evolutionary argument that when there's plenty of food and people get together and gr- like or whatever or i mean you're you're ethnic and i'm ethnic and let's face it family dinners are ridiculous <laughs> yeah because our grandmothers cook Eighty times more than I, I saw a recipe online. A I meme. Mean, it was. A, I'm going to mispronounce this biryani. It's an Indian. Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. The recipe is for 800. It's for 800 people, right? This is how and this is how ethnic grandmothers cook. Maybe not. <laughs> so anyway, and I read that and it really made me aware of the fact. It's like okay, it's really easy to go. Okay, this is the optimal in a nutritional sense, a physiological sense, based on what we know, but there is the human animal to consider also part of it was this has always been my approach to things and this is just how i'm wired if i want to do something I'll just go do it if i when i wanted to do a certain thing in sports i'd go do it and i had a buddy one time and he he was didn't know what he wanted to do and i was like why don't you get a master's in sports psychology and he goes i couldn't i can't deal with those people because i think they're weak it's like if i want to go accomplish something i just go do it and i don't come and i don't make but and again that's a very immature mentality that doesn't and it may work for us the hardcore the psychos that since we were 15 knew that this is all we wanted to do but that is not the average person and i do very tangentially think that as the fitness industry we tend to forget that the trainers the coaches the gurus the whatever usually come from that stock that at 15 we loved being in the gym we loved training we wanted to do this and we are dealing with a population that, as often as not, and I don't want to talk in absolutes, does yeah. not come from that. They don't enjoy the gym. They don't want to be there, whether because of how they're biologically wired, because of bad early experiences, whatever it is, That, and, but we're coming at it from our perspective. Well. I want to be in the gym 2 hours 6 days a week. I mean I don't I used to. I didn't want even not even used to, but we forget that. So anyway, my point of this all being that it's very easy to talk about diets and kind of a abstract this is optimal. But it doesn't work something i said this was years ago because we were arguing about the optimal diet and cyclical and keto and this and that and the other and you know to me calorie deficit enough protein and everything else is really just details honestly and i was saying i'm gonna say the late 90s the best diet is the one you can hear to stick to and of course this didn't go over well um doesn't sell know, in, in Well, it even realized that even in the 90s, we were still locked into bodybuilder, clean eating, optimal diet, this, that, and the other. And, you know, now, and again, the different population, something else we tend to forget. If I'm working with the elite athlete, the 1%, which it probably isn't much more than that, even if it's 10%, trying to get to 5% body fat for a male, 10% body fat for a woman, a lot of this stuff matters. 100%. without performance, without muscle loss, all of that. For the general public, we can take lessons from that, but almost none of that matters, right? As long as they, again, create a long-term deficit, sufficient protein, I don't care too much about the rest of it. Like, yeah, if you're insulin resistant, lower carbs, you're active, higher carbs, most the general public are not that active, blah, 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 blah. So I think at least part of it is we need to realize that a, there is no ideal diet for every person. Because this is all a very long way of getting to. It. I think there's two there's two things. A, the diet can absolutely fail the dieter. Right? I do know people that are like, oh, it's always the dieter's fault, that laziness, sloth, gluttony, all the old standard tropes. Can that be part of it? Absolutely. However, the diet can fail the dieter, right? We know now in 2021. So if it, it, higher protein diets almost with rare exceptions outperform lower protein diets, right? They shouldn't even be debatable anymore. Although there are still mainstream dietitians who just refuse to accept it because they hate protein. Right. These people will write in the same breath. Well, carbohydrates are more filling than fats, but they'll fail to state that protein is more filling than carbohydrate because they don't like pro. They don't like high protein diets. They're biased.
0: They can have their own opinions, but they
1: cannot have their own facts. Correct. And the science is not, it's not even, it's not even debatable at this point. We know from the protein leverage hypothesis, like if you just get people to raise their protein to a point, I'm not saying more 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 that that alone will make the meat less. And I won't get into all the, bo- so like, we know that there are, so if someone comes to me and says, oh, I want to be on a low protein weight loss diet. That diet is going to fail you. That is not going to succeed under any circumstances. So it is physiologically unsound. Regarding false soaps, symptoms to easy diets that we talked about the
0: other time, that you're looking for long, long-term adherence. Well, understand? and yes, and yeah, so the, yeah. Go ahead. It, and the problem would be: Do people fail? Uh, what I wrote here is people fail due to their approach or due to their biology.
1: Or I both? think the I think the answer to this is yes. I think it's kind of worth looking at some of the different components, and I, I, I was thinking about this ahead of time, which is rare for me. Kind of how I wanted to approach this. So on the one hand, right? Because what do, what do we typically focus on? Diet, and exercise, right? Eat less, move more. The the and people will go, oh, well, that's too generic uh, of an advice, right? But nobody really puts it that way and leaves it at that. We need to qualify these terms. A lot of people on the diet end diets that they choose or that are recommended are inherently it i actually i just call it it's like i I consider part of toxic dieting culture dieting as much as anything there are decades of just appalling amounts of information out there Mm -hmm. right and we still is it better due to the internet well yeah but go search on weight loss on google the first 10 pages you find will be the most utter just the worst crap you'll ever see it is so, you know so what do people do and i do think there, there are somewhat gender differences and i don't want to get into that women's biology they frequently cut out protein cut out fat they live on starch blah 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 but there's so much bad information and arguably most diet advice is for women right? For men, if you want, men love keto, right? Oh, just go eat protein and eat bacon and burgers and lift weights. Like men, men, like that's how men diet, but women especially go whenever I'm at the grocery store, I, I have to read the the women's magazines. I can't, it's, it's pathological. And it's like lose 20 kilos in two weeks with the new keto hack. I'm like, maybe this is it. Maybe maybe this is the secret i've been looking for for 30 years like i used to read all the muscle magazines for the same reason but what if this issue has the secrets i can't not read it just in case so like i can't not read them because it's just obsessional with me mainly because i like being angry but i look at this stuff and i'm like this is what people are exposed to whether it's juice fast broth fast all that stuff these ridiculous unrealistic expectations. You can lose 20 kilos in two weeks or, or, or in the exercise realm, how you can walk the weight off 30 minutes, three times a week. Like, oh, it's, it's an industry that's filled with just such appalling information. Then you've got the way people are, think they should diet. And I want to make this clear. I did a really ranty piece last year, right. I called it a dumb shit fitness professionals say people are blaming folks for not knowing what they can't know. Right. People think, Oh, the best way to lose weight is to eat as little as possible. Sometimes exercise as much as possible. Sometimes exercise, not at all. There are rapid weight loss clinics that say don't exercise, which I firmly believe is because exercise prevents muscle loss. If you don't exercise, you lose weight faster because you lose more muscle. That's my theory. Um, all these terrible so people. That's how people think they should diet. So they do this in what are inherently unsustainable approaches. So I think that's really problem. Number one is the information that's out there is just so bad. Um, and again, people only know what they know. Like I said, go Google weight loss, you will not find good advice for a while. You'll find what's people are paying sponsored sponsored ads for you know, then we get all the diet books that like to blame a single factor, whether it's carbs, fat, sugar, dairy. I think my favorite diet book I've ever read was someone was at a restaurant. He noticed that the overweight people drank cold drinks and the normal white people didn't. And he concluded that- Wow. This was years ago. I saw, because again, <laughs> I used to go to book, I used to go to bookstores and I would just browse the weight loss books so I could be, because like occasionally you do get a nugget of gold yeah mainly it was just a i was obsessed b it was my job and my obsession but C. I like getting mad at stuff and i read this i'm like this entire book the in, the thesis was had re- revolved around cold drinks so there's there's nothing too stupid to write a diet book about truly not i once met I was in a job interview years ago and we were talking and i said, oh yeah, I'm a diet person and this and that. And the other, and she's like, let me tell you about the diet my new guru has me on. At breakfast, you only eat foods that grow at ground level. And at lunch, ground level to two feet tall. And at dinner, over two feet tall. And I'm just, don't, don't say it, you need this job. Just keep Stroke, Stroke alert. Yeah, so, and, the, and, the pro- and then the problem with that is they all work in the short term because every, this is something I said again, probably two decades ago, every diet book tells you calories don't count. You don't have to track your calories. Just either avoid this nutrient or add this nutrient. Back when the calcium data broke. Oh, God. Calcium, there's the calcium diet. Just all you need to do is increase your dairy products. Like it's phenomenal to watch it follow the trends. And then they put you on a diet that tricks you into eating less. That's it. That's how every diet works, right? Researcher named Yudkin back in the 70s. He was very, he wrote actually a lot about sugar and, and dental ca- and cavities, I think, but he wrote an early paper and he was like, look, the average diet contains 60 to 65% carbohydrates. If you remove all carbohydrates, you can't not eat less. That's how low carb diets work. In the short term, and yes, protein is more filling, fat is filling, but you can't not eat less in the short term. So, all diet books work the same way, but now either they're unsustainable in the long term. Number two, one problem that turns up as soon as people see, oh, calories don't matter, because in the early stages you don't have to count, the diet tricks you into eating less. But over time, your appetite goes up. People, you know, low carb from whole foods is one thing. They had low carb jelly beans in the 90s, they had low carb, like, that have just as many, they just like they had fat free yogurt in the 80s that had just as many calories. People start eating more, and then you go, Look, you got to count your calories. No, 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 it's not calories. Low carb people will be, Maybe it's the dairy, it's the cream, and my it's the aspartame. It's like, No, you're eating too much. No, 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 the book said. So that programs programs them for failure.
0: You remember that paper, uh, Scolophonis study in 76 about the cafeteria diet, that they saw that that the mice wouldn't like the pellets and they went for the actual, you know, high. Yeah, so.
1: It's cookie dough.
0: I would too. Yeah, 100%. But then you gain again that it's calories in. And you can see that. But then again, people are blaming their uh, metabolism, whatever. And now I'm going to talk about a subject that I know you love. Intuitive. Uh, uh, um,
1: eat, yeah. yeah, intuitive, intuitive eating. So before I get to that, I just kind of want to finish up that thought. So, yes, I think from the diet perspective. The way people tend to diet is appalling, right? And if you get certain things correct, I've known people like once you get them to eat more protein, they're like, oh my God, I'm full for once. My blood sugar is stable. Layman did work on that way back in the early 2000s. Like, and again, we're not talking about all the protein, even if it, you get up to 1.5 gram per kilo, or even you know in that range, because that protein leverage hypothesis has actually shown the amount of protein in the modern diet is exactly the right amount to make you eat more or it's exactly the wrong amount, depending on how you want to look at it.
0: ABA. So I
1: do think that's a big part of it. The diet, pe- the diet can fail if it's badly set up and they're out there, but the person can fail by again, having been told, and I'm not, again, I'm not blaming the person for what they don't know. Most advice in this field is crap. Does that mean that if they diet properly that they're guaranteed success? Absolutely not. I wish I could say it. I'd sell a lot more books if I did, but I think there are relatively better and worse ways of dieting getting sufficient protein, understanding that now, again, for a beginner, if you can get them to eat less without thinking too hard about it, I'm all for it, right? Dieting is a stress. The less decisions they have to make, the better. But they have to understand that in the long-term, eventually when things slow down, what was initially a qualitative change may have to become a quantitative change.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, so all of this help, you know, ad- adopting flexible eating attitudes things of that nature taking breaks being realistic about expectations and we'll talk about that in a second all right so intuitive eating depending are you using the clinical definition or the practical definition or the 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 modern definition
0: let's put some context on that because it's been blown out of proportion again
1: yes okay so the the clinical intuitive eating was created and i want to say the late 90s by two dietitians there's a dietitian a researcher who were very much, in my opinion, reacting to the diet attitudes of the time. And much of what they wrote was correct. They're like, oh, don't let the food police tell you what's a good food and a bad food. I couldn't agree more, right? That A lot, but but if you go look at like their 10 commandments or whatever they are, like seven of them, they're not criticizing dieting, they're criticizing rigid dieting. Now, at the time they wrote this, Rigid and flexible eating was not a construct, so I cannot blame them for not knowing the not being able to predict the future. However, in 2020, they're still thumping the same drum. Now, there's also some overlap between intuitive eating and healthy at every size. I'm absolutely not touching that one because it's too charged they are not synonymous however but they are very much of the ah you need to teach your body to eat by intuition and trust me i'll come crap on this in just a second that you know don't follow these hardcore diet rules etc and one of their arguments that is really so logically poor that it hurts they're like oh you know you shouldn't try to change your body body shape or body size right i mean your foot's only a size eight and you couldn't change that i go Okay, that's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> once down. your foot stops growing, it stops growing. Once you stopped growing height wise, you stopped growing. You can obviously gain weight, you can obviously lose weight. It is a terrible, it, it's one of those things that looks logical, but is absolutely an awful, awful, awful comparison. So then the question, so basically they're saying, it's like, ah, uh, you know, eat intuitively, come, you know, come to peace with your food intake things like, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. The problem is in the modern environment, we are eating intuitively and everybody's getting fatter. Now, let me be fair. The clinical research on this shows that intuitive eating does not cause weight loss. It does seem to prevent long-term weight gain. Because, but again, when you look, sort of look at the rigid dieting research, people with rigid eating attitudes are more likely to binge eat, more people to alternate extreme diets with overeating, have a higher BMI. To me, most of their criticism is of rigid dieting. Flexible eating, flexible dieting has been shown over and over and over again to be one of the key components to long-term success.
0: 100%.
1: There's a hilarious paper, because I dug into this for an article I didn't quite yet publish, that t- early, the early clinical research and it was basically, and it, it was said, it's like, oh, when you eat intuitively, and they even said, your body will adopt its natural, slim form, something roughly to that effect. So even then, they were like, oh, if you just eat intuitively, you'll lose weight and end up, or, which goes against what the intuitive eating clinicians were saying. Behavioral
0: scientists say that we need, to, if we don't listen to our, uh, uh, if we actually listen to our what a body says, we're going to get an enormous.
1: Sure, exactly. Our bodies are telling us, especially in the modern environment, to eat easily accessible, low-cost, palatable, high-calorie food. That is our intuition. This idea that we have an intuition on how to eat properly, we have no more, it's like intuitive training in the gym. We did not evolve to know how to lift weights, right? The whole thing is ridiculous. You, we, I mean, every guy thinks he did, right? Guys seem to think that having male genitalia makes you an expert on uh all sports that is inclusive men just know how to lift weights it's intuitive no it's not right same sort of thing now this same paper maybe was another one it, it it brought up the question it said look when you look at there's cultural norms to eating right when my mom goes to europe very different very much slower way of eating and i know this is true i know you're originally from greece if you look at mediterranean eating my family is Middle Eastern. Oh, I didn't grow up too much in the culture, right? In Japan, they say, you know, stop when you're 90% full, etc. You know, there are such different cultural attitudes. In America, it's, you know, supersize it for 45 cents more because that's, that's capitalism. And what it said, it said, so in Japan, they say to stop when you're 90% full, but in island Samoa or island Tonga, I forget which, they say to eat till you're tired. <laughs> let's move there <laughs> well oh my god it's a power lifters heaven right and and this right so this paper set asked the question that i think is a good one is intuitive eating are we really eating intuitively or are we simply following a set of cultural rules wow and that's exactly it we are taught a set of cultural food rules that we tend to follow and intuitive eating in as much as it is anything is just a different set of rules. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessary any time we make a d- new dietary change. We are simply implementing a different set of rules. Oh, yeah. We are going from eating a pizza every day to only on our cheat days, and I don't wanna get into, you know, or whatever. So this idea that it's intuitive to me is nonsense. Our intuition is eat the cake. All you're doing, and again, are they healthier rules in many ways? Because you're getting off the good food, bad food, diet, yeah, absolutely. But it's not intuitive because there is no intuition, or what our intuition for this is. Like, there's a book that just came out called I want to say it's called "Exercising Exercise." I think we talked about this. Oh, the the. Uh, um. Friedman Daniel yeah, Friedman, yeah. I want to say.
0: Exercise, yeah, and he talks about how. The, and and I think. Yeah. Just. I have yeah. It.
1: And I think his basic premise is that why we evolved not to do something so good for us, right? You go look at 100, you'll look at the Kenyans. The Kenyans run for money. When they're done competing, they do not run. They think the idea of exercising for recreation is the stupidest thing ever, right? So people like, go, why, why, what? Our intuition is to be lazy and sit in front of the TV and eat high-calorie food.
0: Exactly.
1: That is our intuition. To offset that, you have to create a new set of rules. Okay, so that's clinical intuitive eating. And like I said, there are good things that come out of it. I disagree with uh, clearly several of their, their points. And I think if they were to update it and put out all the rigid stuff, about half of what they're against goes away. Oh, yeah. Because that's mainly, but again, that is, their, that is their shtick. Like after 20 years, they've got certifications, they've got seminars, they're married to this. They wouldn't update their data set if they had to because nobody will. Okay. Now, there's practical intuitive eating or not practical, there's the fitness version of it that I'm told the dietitians are PO'd about, just pissed off. Because there are people in this industry that are lean, that are athletic, that get into like, that are just like, oh yeah, you can eat intuitively and get lean. And they're like, I eat intuitively. I can think of one specific person, I don't know their name, which is good, and I wouldn't say it anyway. And they're like, oh, I eat intuitively and I'm fine and I stay lean and you look at what they actually eat, and they're like, they measure out a careful half cup of cereal. You probably know what I'm talking about. I don't remember their name. Yeah. And a similar thing is seen, the real flexible eating zealots, which I'm not. I was probably, when I was younger, I was a lot more enthusiastic about it. But all of these people, and I used to know bodybuilders. Back in the day, they're like, oh, when I prep for a show, I don't count calories, but they've done it for 10 years. They're like, okay, every couple of weeks, I cut my starch by that much, and I add vegetables. It's very free form, and they're looking at their, the changes. That's but they norm, they Correct. They're, they've got already a solid baseline. And what these people in the fitness industry going, oh, you can eat intuitively and lose fat or get lean or get in a contest shape, are leaving out. They spent ten years as rigid eaters. They, I did too. You did too. I measured every morsel of food for longer. I, when I was in college, I wrote a basic a program in BASIC to let me track my day. I basically wrote a spreadsheet for all practical purposes. I had a database. I could pull foods in, put the servings. I could type in extra foods. It would give me my numbers, show me my percentages. I wrote that because I was psychotic. You made my fitness pal on on DOS. Yeah. But it was 1991 and I'm just, I actually modified a program I'd used for a role playing game, which did very similar things that just pulled out of a, a database. Nerd, nerd from way, way back when. So they forget this. The people are like, oh yeah, flexible eating. I can eat two cookies and stop." Right. For 10 years. And there is actually, so this goes to the biology, right? There is behavior. There is, it's very hard to separate behavior from biology. Mind and brain. It's a very false dichotomy. Right. Physiology and behavior, they're so interlinked and it is very, but one of the really interesting points in this regard, our paper years and years and years ago, right? So the frontal cortex, which I think we talked about just when we chatted the other day, right? It makes us self-aware. Humans are the only ones that have one. That's why we're miserable uh, or why we can make ourselves miserable. Yeah. Dogs are happy because they don't know any better. But what this paper found is it took lean individuals and overweight individuals and it had them put, gave them a, a buffet, your typical all-you-can-eat research study meal. And what it found was that when the lean people got to a certain point, their prefrontal cortex lit up and they stopped eating. Basically, they became aware of how much they were eating. And when you looked at the overweight individuals, they did not. And my personal example, right? When I go to the buffet, and I used to go to the buffet before COVID, trust me, I knew everything I was eating. I knew every calorie I was put, I didn't care and I chose not to care. But I guarantee I was conscious of it, of just how much I was eating people from that background are, you are, I can pretty much eyeball my meals now because I measured it forever. The people that are making this work right out of the gate the people going, you're not eating intuitively. Your rule set developed over a decade is so unconscious.
0: Exactly. Even
1: Even when you talk to athletes, and I know you're involved in in Olympic lifting, occasionally you'll find those athletes that are like, man, he knew how to train intuitively. He just knew what was right for him on any given day because he had 20 years of experience seeing how he responded. He did not have an intuition. He built a rule set over 20 years of experience, even coaches, now early on, like I make guesses and when you're right, you write articles about it. When you're wrong, you hope nobody notices, but over so many years of coaching, you get to the point, you're like, all right, I see this. That's the solution I found works. I see that I'm going to do this. It feels intuitive, but it's not. It's just a set of rules you've programmed yourself with. So these intuitive eaters in the fitness industry, they're not eating intuitively. They're saying they think they are. It's just an unconscious rule set. So yeah, so I think that I, so that's my rant on intuitive eating. Are there, yes, should people become more at peace with their eating, food is not a moral issue. I've only been writing about this since two thousand and four, right? When I was literally pretty much the first person to formalize flexible eating in the fitness industry. Okay. Well, pretty you, much, in, uh, I remember your form, guide to flexible nineteen ninety guide to flexible guide to flexible dieting was two thousand and four. Oh yeah, and yeah. I believe I was the first one to really formalize the concepts. I mean, they they existed in rough form, and of course at the time everyone's like oh no, you can't get lean doing that. How can you, and of course now in 2020, every human on God's green earth is just like, I invented flexible eating like, you know, guys, give me an iota of credit. I was there 16 years ago, but nobody's ready to hear it. So yes, we've got toxic dieting culture is a big part of it. Even given the best diet doesn't necessarily, you know, so yeah, are some of the things intuitive eating, the clinical version, is there some validity to it? yeah said get off the good food bad food wagon because that is another element of this a weird study i couldn't find for the life of me at least in the older days people were like these are the foods i eat on a diet these are the foods i eat when i'm not dieting people think of diet food when people are told the food is a diet food they think it tastes worse yeah now you got to realize right i'm old back in the day man diet food was terrible low fat low carbs tasted like cardboard yeah. In the modern era, that's no longer true. The foods that we have available that are lower calorie don't taste like crap like they used to. So get, by getting people out of that mindset, I'm all for it. Now, from an intuitive eating standpoint, if your goal is, if you don't want to lose weight, that's fine. Right? This is why I don't get, I'm not getting involved in that other topic. Right? My issue becomes when those types of groups say you shouldn't want to. I find that that's an overstep, right? I've occasionally been accused of going, Oh, you think all men should be 8% body fat? Bullshit. Show me where I've ever said that. If you tell me that's your goal, I'll tell you how to get there. What you do is between you and your God. Exactly. I'm not your coach. I'm not your dad. I don't really care. However, when you tell me your goal, I will try to give you the best information. So it, but that's, again, that's a whole separate rant and rave. So, yeah. They're ele- it's just like their elements. I mean, bodybuilders were on the high protein thing decades ago. And it's funny to see them completely vindicated. Well, Are there things we can learn from what they do? Yes. However, their dieting is just as pathological as anything else, right? All the clean eating. They're very, they- now, do they make it work? Sure. Cause they're often held up as successful dieters cause they look great. Yeah. For one day, Look at them a week later when they've gained 10 kilos and two weeks and a month later when they have gained 20 kilos because 16 weeks of eating like that or six months, you know, go look at how many people end up with eating disorders that come out of that because they think that that's how you have to do it to get into that level of shape most of as them. a beginner. And What's
0: that? most of them, and you know what? The problem is accessibility now like people see pictures on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. And so like, Oh, that's how he is. And he's like, first of all, there's an aspect of drugs. Second of yes. all, it doesn't look like that 365 uh, a year.
1: Right. And, and even, you know, and even, even yes, but you've also got that thing I call survivorship bias. We talked about this with regards to Olympic lifting as they go, oh, look at the guy, the guys that made it to stage did it this way. Right. But what about the 99% that didn't make it? Go to any women's oxygen mag fitness forum for every one that succeeds, 99 end up with a binge eating disorder falling off the wagon. I don't care about the 1% more than I care about the one Bulgarian Olympic lifter that survived the system. I care about the 65 that got broken.
0: And that's a good segue for my next question regarding addiction, drugs versus diet. Um, In what sense? In the sense of, well, people get addicted with specific drugs, but people get addicted with specific food patterns, diets.
1: Yeah. So, now are you talking about like paleo versus vegan versus yeah, that type of diet, food pattern?
0: In a way, because that is the problem with people are just juggling with poor and false hopes from diet to diet. but they're missing? Yes. The the actual concept of what they want to do. Oh
1: yeah. No, I see what. Yes, I see what you're saying. So I I. I I don't think you're asking about food addiction and that's a whole separate oh, thing. Yeah. There's a lot of debate over whether or not that's actually a thing or not. If anything, we're probably addicted to eating, right? Things that push dopamine we tend to like doing and food is one of them, just like a million other things. I do think a lot of diet zealotry, it, it's got the structure of a cult. It's got the structure of religion mm-hmm. and I actually have another one of my, another half-assed beliefs someone wrote about, there's a book years ago called The God Gene, I forget who wrote it, basically arguing that humans have sort of a genetic, but whether or not you believe that, I do think humans in the aggregate, the majority, have a tendency to follow the loudest, strongest alpha male, right, and I think this evolved as soon as we started to form societies, somebody had to be in charge and they had to tell everybody else what to do and what to think and how to act. You see it in political zealotry. You see it in religious zealotry. People are happy to murder each other over who has the better imaginary friends. I'm sure that'll piss some listeners off and that's fine too. Same thing with diet. Oh no, I've got the best diet. Keto is the best. Paleo is evolutionary. Carnivore is reasons. I don't know, we've evolved eating vegetables. I still haven't quite figured out what the snake diet. If you're familiar with that particular, you know, whatever it is, because again, this is an industry that y- The stupidest idea can will work to some degree or another, as long as it gets people to eat less. as long as you get them to do that it doesn't matter specifically, but people a you know They hear that They want to believe it. Um, and once they have started to believe it, then you get into the backfire effect sunk cost fallacy because even they're like, they're like, even though it's not working. I've it's now part of my identity. I am like, <laughs> there's a guy in my group. What did he say his screen name was something ketogenic and somebody asked him, is that really your last name. He's like, no, I just follow a keto diet. And I, of course, said, how do you know someone's on a keto diet. Don't worry, they'll tell you, but that's it. CrossFit, veganism, (laughs) whatever, they have to, like, it's such a part, that is who they are. It's not just what they do, it is who they are. Once you reach that level of drinking the Kool-Aid, no Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid's not paleo, is to change your mind would admit that you were wrong, which people think is a sign of weakness, but it's not. It's a sign of strength to be able to go, Hey, I messed up. So you get people that are, I don't know if it's addicted so much as they get very married to an idea, they get very sucked into the cult, but you do, you see those people that are doing these things. You see it in training too: high intensity training versus periodization versus 45 sets per week versus like, to me, if you look at it in generalities, it's the same thing. It is one person telling you, I have the answer. There's an old episode of the X-Files that I remember, and it was one church was warring with another church. And Scully, the scientist goes, Mulder, I don't get it. Why, why are they so married to these ideas? And Mulder says, look, the world is very hard. We have to make a lot of choices every day. If you had someone who could come tell you, I have a simple answer, wouldn't that appeal to you? And I think that's where a lot of this comes from, right? Thinking is hard. And again, don't, I'm not trying to be an elitist prick. It is it my is. coach, my speed skating coach was a brilliant man. You know what the favorite thing he had to do was to go attend someone else's training session so that he would get told what to do. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm just saying that it is. And I think diets tends to prey on that diet, diet books, read any generic diet book. First chapter, your fat is not your fault. Chapter two. The cause of obesity, take your pick. Insulin, hormone balancing, in carbs, fat, dairy, cold drinks, apparently, you <laughs> name it. Ten chapters of selling you on the diet with lots of uh, you know positive testimonials. No one ever talks about failures. Well, the, all the full-up the, the full studies that two-thirds all gain, uh, 80% gains about two-thirds back something like that yes uh, from any diet which is and i'll and i'll get to that i think that's the next big topic is so yeah and then so they're, and then then they put you on the most generic diet ever they're all the same whether it's i don't give a shit if it's paleo non-inflammatory whatever invariably you're eating proteins healthy fats fruits and vegetables and some starches it is but the key is the buy-in The key is convincing the person and then giving the, you know, so it's 150 pages of that. And then usually the diet can be summed up in about three pages. And then it's food lists and meal plans. A lot of them are based around simple rules. And again, there's a paper again. I can't remember when it was or who did it. And it was like, people like diets with simple rules. Don't eat carbs, right? And we could get off into the whole willpower thing, decisions. I don't want to get too far into that. The, the weeds on that. But we gotta make a lot of decisions every day. And it's very easy for you or I to say, look, at any given meal, you can do moderate carbs, you can do this, you can save it. It's a lot to think about. If you just go, no carbs, that's easy. No fat, that's easy. No sugar, or the the no white, no, no white foods, no flour, no sugar, no vanilla ice cream. I don't know what the third one is. Um, a cousin of mine followed it, lost a bunch of weight, gained it all back because you can't stick on that, you know. Now to that, and again, I realize I'm jumping around a lot but this is how my brain works. Something that I read years ago that I thought was we've also forgotten was to the effect of the diet you lose weight on is not the diet you necessarily maintain on. And I think there's both truth and falsehood to that. There's falsehood in that if the diet you lost weight on is ridiculous and unsustainable, there's nothing to reteach eating habits, then no, that doesn't hold. Every diet I've ever written, even my rapid fat loss handbook, what is it? It's lean proteins, vegetables, healthy fats, all the essential nutrients. To that base, you add foods back. You do not completely change, go back to your old eating habits. Some component, and I bring this up because there's another one of my favorite thing, tropes in the fitness industry. This is the the, the Insta, Instagram memization, the pictographic, Ruining of the fitness industry, because if you can't put it in a simple graphic, nobody will read it And it says to the effect If your goal is to lose weight And your first thought or your coach tells you that you have to stop eating carbs, you've already screwed up to which I say Why? It's that simple. Why? Why is that a problem in the short term? Now it could mean a couple things. Do we mean eat low carb? or do we need reduced reduce carbs? Which again, what does that mean? Low carb, what do you mean? Right, are we talk about, lo- about very low carb, ketogenic, 50 grams per day or less. Are we talk about moderating carbs, but it kind of doesn't matter because the way they're phrasing it, A is unqualified, but again, you don't have room in a image this big to actually like qualify what you're saying and be coherent anymore. It's better to just make trite one off statements. But again, I ask why? What is fundamentally the problem with this? So I've seen I saw one guy, and he was like, well, when you die, you shouldn't have to don't reduce carbs or fats. What are you gonna reduce? What you, yeah. you what 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 does that leave? You can't ever cut protein. What the hell does that leave? And right, we know you gotta get enough protein. That's n- non-negotiable to me. How much we can argue about, whatever. Non-negotiable. Usually some amount of dietary fat for a bunch of reasons. If you're gonna reduce calories, now yeah, if your fat intake is really high, you can reduce fat. But what's the problem? If you've got someone who is a carb addict or carbs are their food, and they usually are, those are usually our food trigger. and you put them on a no carb diet for six weeks to get some quick results to help, takes about six weeks for taste buds to adjust. All these other benefits, we got changes in the reward system going on, which is the biology to it. What's the problem? And they'll go, well, it's not sustainable. I'll go, okay, can't you bring carbs back in? And there was a study to that effect, two years ago, took two groups, put them both on low carb for however long it was. Then they said one group, you bring carbs back into what you feel is a comfortable level. And they ended up at what, about 150 grams a day. It's probably about gram per pound to two grams per kilo, which is really funny because what do the bodybuilders say for decades? To gain weight, three grams per pound, six grams per kilo. When you're dieting, one gram per pound, 2.2 grams per kilo. They weren't drilling a dry well. But anyway, of like, why? If cutting out all the carbs for 12 weeks has these benefits and you can bring them back into a moderate level, What's the what problem? the fuck is the problem? What is the problem? Right? I de- and, here's, and here's the problem. What I actually find even more interesting, if you go back and read Atkins' original book, 1970s, Dr. Atkins' Diet Revolution, He said, once you reach maintenance from eating full-blown low carb, you bring carbs back into what he called your critical carbohydrate level to where you felt like you had stabilized. It was what? What this study did. Two or three grams per kilo, I think. I don't, I I think he said it was an individual value. It's been too long since I read the book, but yeah, probably. Because again, for most people, if you then look at a maintenance diet, Like whenever I sit down and do my math, like I've been doing consults lately, when I math everything out, it's like, all right, protein needs to be here, whatever, two to 2.5 grams per kilo, fat needs to be this amount. You usually end up with carbs at about two to three grams per kilo. And for most people, right? Another question I used to get, well, let me rephrase that. If I had to pick a single diet, in terms of composition Mm -hmm. for most people, it would be around 30, 40, 30 protein, carbs, fat. I don't like percentages, but it would be, you know, gram and a half or whatever, 1.5 to two grams per kilo of protein, two to three grams per kilo of carbs, half a gram to one gram per kilo. That's a good maintenance. It's moderate, it's enough carbs to give you food variety, food texture, allow some of the, the good stuff. Moderate fat tends to give mouthfeel, blood sugar, sufficient protein. Yeah, if you're super active, if you're a high level athlete, high carbs. If you are extremely inactive, carrying a lot of excess body fat, severely insulin resistant, low carbs. But for the grand majority, moderate carb, moderate protein, moderate fat, sweet spot. And if you look at like, so why can't you? So this whole thing, well, oh, shouldn't you gotta reduce something? Duchesne said 20 years ago, when you're dieting at the end of the day to create a sufficient deficit, you eventually have to cut carbohydrates. You can't. Protein cannot go below, cannot go down. Anything it goes up. Fat can only get so low at some point, but there's this idea. And to me, what they're responding to is not the diet, is not the physiology, is not the science. They don't like the zealots. I don't like the zealots either. I am still accused of being nothing but a pro keto guy, which couldn't be any further from the truth. Read my book. You'll never see me say this is why you should do this diet. No sentence in there. You're also saying about rejection. Go ahead.
0: You also said about how hard it is. And you also said regarding in your book regarding the intro,
1: introduction of carbs in diet. Yep. to be Yeah, to be aware of certain things. All that book ever said was, if you've decided to do this, here's what you need to know. But I'm still accused of, oh, uh-uh, read anything or just read my, because people didn't read past the cover. They just assumed what's truly funny about that book. Both the pro-keto and the anti-keto people hated me for that book. The pro-keto people were like, well, you'll say it's magic, you suck. And the anti-keto people are like, oh, you had the nerve to not say a ketogenic diet will kill you? Yeah, because this is what the science actually says, which is all I care about. But I think all the fitness people who are like, you should never cut carbs, they don't like the zealotry. I don't like the zealotry either, but I don't care. I care about does it help behaviorally? Because again, for many people, saying, and I was one of them, for many people eating some carbs makes you want more carbs. For some people cutting out all carbs is the best way to do it in the short term, right? But that's where these other people are missing the point. It doesn't have to be forever. No one said it has to be forever. We are simply saying that for some people under some circumstances, doing this in the short term may be beneficial. If nothing else, one of the benefits I used to see of keto, more for women than men, I think, if it does nothing else, it tricks you into eating enough protein. <laughs> For people that don't eat low protein, like I, and and there was a researcher. I want to say it was Plantagen Plantagena Plantanga. Don't know, but he he felt that the the advantage, the appetite suppression from keto diets, was not ketosis, it was the higher protein intake. And I think he's might be a little bit of both, but I think he's probably closer to right than wrong. Because people were right? starting to about, uh, bank pipe about PYY or leptin. Kind of. Sure. And and getting into all this stuff. And if you, and if you do look at it, you know, a protein raises one of them and dietary fat raises CCK and different nutrients have different have effects on different of those hormones. They've also shown that people with overweight often respond differently to those neurologically, biochemically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot, again, if you're insulin resistant, generally moderating, carbs or at least the glycemic load, which is a whole separate thing tends to be beneficial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Keto tricks people into doing that. But
0: but then again, on that paper,
1: is it a hyper-functioning reward basis of
0: other addictive behaviors? Here's what's really
1: interesting. When you look at at the data on the reward system in obesity, some data says it's hyperactive, it's hyper-responsive. And some says it's hypoactive, that it's under-responsive. Yeah, we're Here's,
0: hijacking the
1: dopamine um, response system. Right. And I mean, again, anything we do that feels good will drive dopamine. I mean, this is the whole thing. Oh, sugar's more addictive than drugs. Well, no, it's not. And guess what? Because they were like, sugar drives dopamine. So does dietary fat. So does eating in general. So does sex. So does video games. So do a million different things. But what you, but the question then became, yeah, was it hijack, but was it too, too sensitive or not sensitive enough? Because they've seen both. And what the current model seems to be is that when people are younger, frequently their reward system is hyperactive, mm-hmm. right? You've got taste buds, you've got a whole bunch of things. So say you've got someone, an adolescent who has a hyperactive reward system. They enjoy tasty foods more. Yeah. I know people that don't like sweets. I don't get it. I love sweets. I grew up eating them. And realize that there's also a behavior, you know, there is a conditioning aspect. It's not just the biology, but add that biology to the modern. So they start eating, they eat more sweets. Maybe they t- enjoy them more, they taste them better. As they eat more, the reward system starts to become less sensitive. Now they need to eat more to have, and it, it's really got a good analog to drug abuse. Yeah, but, it's the kick. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, I took an addiction years ago, uh, addiction professor uh, who also worked at clinics, and he said, yeah, some people, you, you, it's chronic use that causes addiction, but others, one hit and they're addicted. And he goes, every true addict like that, they remember their first high because their reward system was waiting for that thing to make, he goes, that was the first time they felt normal, and they've been chasing it ever since. Because over time, it takes more and more and more harder and harder drugs there is a similar thing because it is the same pathway. It's a matter of what's hitting it. We live in a, you know, what, what was the big thing last year? Super, uh, not super refined, um, ultra processed foods oh, yeah. that do, and food companies make this. They want to make foods that jam up, that, that hit the reward system quick. The MSGs, we were talking about sodium uh, glutamate, well, massive. One of the most fascinating documentaries I ever watched, it had to do with uh, chip design, like uh, potato chip, uh, crunchy chips, Doritos, Tostitos. The, the key, the, the thing that, that chip makers look for is the exact type of spices that hit hard and disappear quickly because that's what makes you want to like this is that that is the magic for them is to find that exact combination to hit hard enough to really make it but to go away quickly enough like it is this is all science exactly. ultra processed foods are very much hijacking this which i think is all, all, so yeah so we do have so you, like to your earlier question is the biology is a behavior well which is what's driving which right if you've got a reward system right people are like oh drug addiction is the choice Eh, it isn't, it isn't. And I read a really good paper that said, it isn't until it is, because if you have a biological urge that is just making you feel sick, that says you will not feel good until you use. Is it still technically a choice? Sure, but is it practically really a choice? I doubt it. And all you gotta do is, you know, and is food that strong? Probably not. Right? And we know that even among drugs, how quickly they hit your system, affect smoking hits harder than injections which hits harder than pills. <laughs> because it's a matter of how quickly it, how quickly it activates the reward system and how fast. So, why crack is more addictive than cocaine because it's smokable, right? And you know, why cigarettes, heroin users find it easier to quit heroin than cigarettes because heroin is an injectable. So, so yeah, but then this paper said, well, in the early stages, it's probably not truly a choice in the sense of the biological urge is so very strong that to expect someone realistically to ignore it. However, with repeated attempts and over time, and again, this even brings us back to the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is what allows us to be self-aware. It's the closest thing to Freud's superego that we have because we all have these urges. Trust me, when I see a cookie, I wanna eat the cookie. That is my intuition, my intuitive eating. I then make a decision consciously, am I going to eat that or not?
0: Yeah, but that goes back to how you grew up because we know that the
1: frontal cortex matures the mid 20s. Yes, to a a degree. And I think, you know, people that are precocious, you've got those scary 15 year olds that are way too self-aware way too early. And I was kind of one of them. I was one of those that looked at my friends in high school. They're like, why are you like this? Why are you, I don't get it because I they were most high schoolers and most teenagers they are hormonally driven robots yep right they are not conscious they are not because it's not till the late 20s to your point some people do and then practice we can you know we could talk about whatever the marshmallow test and like d- don't want to get into the weeds on any of that oh, but that was, but what, whole separate thing like depends, what's that the
0: delayed ratification that everybody just bangs up the pipe all the time is, what that that kid that grabbed the first one and it didn't wait for the second one could have been with eight brothers and sisters in his family sure. and it's like grab it while you
1: have it absolutely and that's what it came out much later was that it had as much to do with socioeconomic status and early upbringing but also you can you can develop the frontal cortex that's what mindfulness work does and there's yep. endless research that mindfulness interventions help with literally everything from crime you name it because these people are basically having these immediate urges to act that they are not conscious enough to take a step back and go, okay, am I being rational? You know, sort of, here's another example. Just, this is, you know, I, I was diagnosed with bipolar two, like bipolar light in 2014. And I was pretty, you can actually track, go look at my like early internet posting. you can see depressed to manic to depressed. Like you can see when I got really aggr with people, but I went and looked, And one of the things bipolar does during a manic episode is it hijacks and inhibits your frontal cortex. Suddenly you become very impulsive. Suddenly the urges that we all have, you act on. Alcohol inhibits frontal cortex. So what do they say about alcohol? Alcohol will not make you do anything you wouldn't already do. It makes it easier to do it because it removes the block, it removes the awareness. So when you have someone and often, especially with Early drug use, the frontal cortex may never develop. For some people, it just never does. They are the ones that, you know, and that is where I do think some of the marshmallow, when they track them, right? The people with good self-regulation frontal cortex function have superior results in almost any outcome. They are the one in college when their friends like, dude, big party, and like, you've got a final tomorrow, dude, party. He's the one that goes out drinking he's the one that's get, that's late to work that gets fired and doesn't know that I mean, everybody hates me now it's your own shitty choices alter high front yeah which uh, the frontal cortex does, uh, alters the interoceptive awareness of everything or not. sure and if nothing else it like in the way i look at it because we have these immediate urges if you take a step oh. back give your sense a chance to pray and they talk about top down versus bottom up behavior you know hot versus cold hotter urges someone cuts you off in traffic you're like i'm gonna kill that take a breath <laughs> right it's that it's that immediate urge the problem is that people with poor frontal cortex always act on the urges yeah see the cookie want the cookie have the cookie eat the cookie and even that you know was, one of my old what you said you
0: said before regarding people making a lot of decisions and we have seen that when when we've got uh, um, increased cognitive load we know that yes. we're going to be good on, on the rest decision we're going to be making. So that goes back right. to exactly what you said. The altered and,
1: and I know there's I know there's some debate over whether or not how much is that self expectation. I haven't kept up with that research. The 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 mental or the whatever that fatigue was caused. But you know one of the things they a point you'll see made and you know there's always those trite memes twenty behaviors of billionaires that yeah this is they get to do these because they're billionaires not. <laughs> anyway but one of them you see a lot is certain people in certain environments are like wear the same thing every day right i basically you can look at pictures of me and as much as you can find pictures of me for 10 years i have a uniform black or gray t-shirt blue jeans white tennis shoes i literally wear the same thing every day of my life i have since i was in college and i think to at least one degree it's one less, A, I suck at dressing myself. That's the real reason, right? But B, it's one less decision you have to make every day. I have a female friend, she'll spend two hours exhausting herself trying to figure out what to wear. Suddenly she has depleted all of her mental energy for the day. So we do have all, you know, now, I think this the gummy out of the drug thing, I think this leads into some behavioral stuff where I think because really the, the, the three pyre, you of know, the, the pyramid of whatever, of not only weight loss in the short term, but long term weight maintenance, gotcha. which is really where we're failing people. Dietary change. And I'm going to say that instead of dieting because whatever diet. Actually, if you took Latin derives from D.A., which just means your daily. It's got nothing to do with. Can not spell diet without die. Nah, that's Latin for day. So get over it. That's stupid uh activity change and that can be increasing need it can be formal exercise that's its own sort of separate issue it can interact with adherence sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way one paper i think worth mentioning years ago again they had people either diet only exercise only or diet plus exercise they want to look at adherence what they found is the people who did diet plus exercise had better it, because there is. There's a mentality for some people of, well, I worked out today. Why do I want to mess that up by eating? Then there's people that go, I worked out today, I get but, a milkshake. But and what they found was in the short term that was better. The problem was when people quit exercising, they had worse adherence to their diet than the diet only group. And we'll because if you,
0: the so people cannot get to the if, gym.
1: But right, but if you when you link those two, when you link that, I diet and exercise either go together or not at all. It can be detrimental. The key is don't stop training like I did for about nine months, but whatever. I get training loading my power lifters plates. Trust me, it's the tonnage is up there, I guarantee you. I lift a lot of weights every day just loading her stuff for her. <clears throat> so, But then this one is really, I guess, behavior change to, for lack of it's, It's all that stuff that goes into her. Now, for years I ignored it because, again, my attitude was if you want to do it, do it or shut up very immature approach, because that's what I did. And 25 years later, I've learned at least two more things. And I've gotten more into that years ago. And there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into this. Now, really dietary change is part of it, right? If you pick an inherently unsustainable approach, I'm not saying that there's not times for an extreme approach, because hell, I wrote an entire book about it, but it has to at least give you the ability somehow to transition out. There has to be an exit strategy. So first off, attitude. If you think you can just diet for six weeks or a month and then go back to the way you were eating and maintain it, you've already lost. Okay, so throw that idea out. There has to be some amount of long term behavior change. Now I'm not saying you have to be completely 100% strict, but there has to be some or it comes right back. So that's number one. There is an expectation aspect. People and here it's really interesting. I think you looked at some of the goal setting research because people are like, oh shoot for the stars. Others are like don't make expectations, uh, unreasonable expectations. And the data, if anything, shows that setting loftier goals is better. Although, I do remember a paper I looked up one time, they asked women, how much weight would you like to lose? And it was like 32 kilos, it was a really large amount. And at the end of the study, the women had lost like half of that, 16 kilos, 32 pounds for people in my country, which is a lot. Oh, yeah. And like 50% of them were really unhappy with that result. So I think it can go either way. But then one of the studies, said if you pick bigger goals, not only did they lose more in the short term, but they kept losing. But I think that may be individual, right? Cause it's like, okay, if you just go, ah, I'm gonna lose a couple pounds. Well, or a kilo, eh, that's nothing. You need, you know, in, in the sports psychology realm, we say, you know, dream goals, Olympics, you know, Long term, medium term, short term. I think that's a good way to approach it. But even there, you have to realize, no matter what the theoretical math says in terms of how fast you're going to lose your weight, you better double it. It's always about twice as long as you think, almost without exception. That's that's my that's my rule of thumb. And you know, it's been interesting watching physique athletes go from 10 to 12 week preps, which was unrealistic without drugs, to six months because the the numbers work out in 12 weeks on paper. It never works out like that in the world. That happens many times. Well, but even with that, even if you're perfect metabolic adaptation, slow down, there's so many variables where things you know, would eventually. So, so there's that. So you set short-term goals, medium-term goals, long-term goals. You gotta realize that it's gonna take longer. And this goes in, again, I realize back, looping back, you mentioned the addiction to diet, Yeah. to the quick results. There's a paper. Uh, i think it was polivy p-o-l-i-v-y they did a bunch of behavioral writings back in the day a paper he called he called the false hope syndrome and what he talked about was when we diet we remember the easy bit first couple months are easy you're not hungry the weight's dropping off this is great and then it starts to suck and you quit but with every new magic diet you're only remembering the easy bit yep. and he's in his opinion it creates a false hope uh, and of course every diet book tells you, oh, just do this. Weight loss will be quick, easy, and permanent. All three of those things are a lie. <laughs> it's well, never
0: right. No, cause you go from the one extreme to the other.
1: It's not. Right. Yes. And and this is the problem with dieting in general. And, and, and well, again, like I said, I will tie all this together as much as I can. I got to be a little bit briefer than usual. Read another really weird paper years ago and it looked at, well, God, how did they put it? It was like. Expectations versus reality. And there was like so you are like a quadrant, right? It can be like high, 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 low, low, high, low, low, low. Right. And it's like, okay, high expectations. You're expecting these great results. Or maybe that was goals. I'd have to go look. Doesn't really matter. What it came down to is you've got some people that are like, all right, I'm gonna set a huge goal and I think it's gonna be easy. They fail. Because it's never easy. When you set an unrealistic goal, think it's gonna be easy and it's never like that. Obviously, if you set a low goal and think it's going to be easy, you're not going to get anywhere. But the, the too long didn't read of this paper was that the best results came out of people that had fairly lofty goals, but were realistic about getting there. And this is really a key thing, right? i moved to Salt Lake City to speed skate at 35 to try to make an Olympic team or Olympic trials. And everyone said, do you really think you got a chance of making it? And my response was, look. I'm gonna go out there with every intention of making it because why would I waste my time otherwise? However, I am completely aware of the reality of it coming true. And yes, I was gonna uh, hope for the best, but I was gonna be okay with the worst, or not realizing it. I was also gonna realize, and a lot of this is realizing what difficulties you're gonna run into, which is something else where people really go wrong expectationally. Before I get into that, I just to say is dieting and drug addiction are similar, but different for a number of reasons. One of the big ones is that when you decide to stop drinking or doing hard drugs, you can stop completely. In premise, don't go to the bar. You have to get rid of all your friends that did drugs.
0: The food.
1: It's called a bright line boundary. I do not go to bars. I do not go to these environments. You can, once you eliminate that, it's a step, does that guarantee your success? Absolutely not. You have to eat. We are surrounded, you cannot get away from the food environment in the modern world. So true. That makes it much more difficult. With drug addiction, I am led to believe the earliest part is the hardest. When you're going through detoxing, the DTs, and feel terrible, that goes away. And over time, it gets somewhat easier. Like to me, an addict is always an addict. That's my belief. Many become addicted to something else. Robert Downey Jr. is an exercise addict now. Yeah. Relatively healthier, an addiction can be unhealthy, no matter what it is. Dieting starts easy and gets harder. You get hungrier, your body fights back more, you want to, right? You're surrounded by a tasty food. So, but there's still lessons that can be learned from, we like said, bright line boundaries. There's things out of the drug addiction literature, you know? So if you're dieting, I don't go to buffets, you just don't, right? Because you will fail. I don't do that. You can use these, or that's where some of the simple diets, right? If you know that bread is a tr- you know, a food trigger for you in the sense of food cravings, well, right. I don't eat bread, right? I really dislike this, this trend among the flexible, the rabid, flexible dieting people. Oh, if you don't, if you don't eat a given food, you're orthorexic. No, that's not what orthorexia means, you morons. If you know that a food cannot be included in your personal diet without you overeating it, not keeping it around is smart. Yeah. And if you can't understand that you're the one like that whole you must not only it goes from you can include these foods into your diet to you must include all food. No, 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 no. Those are very different things. Those are very different concepts. I can't keep cookies in the house because to me 12 cookies is a serving. Yeah. I want them. I go buy them and I eat them. I keep, I, other Man. people can. I can't So, so yeah, so that's, you know, there are things so bright line. You just, I don't do this. Things of that nature, or was it? Oh, so back to dieters. You decided to diet. Should you set higher, low goals? They should be specific. They didn't want to lose weight. That's not a goal. Pick a number. Make it short. Set short, medium, and long-term goals. Because if you go, I'm going to lose 50 kilos, that's you can't mentally deal with that. That's a year or two. Set a 12-week goal. Set a six-month goal. Break it into more easier, smaller chunks. Right, adopt flexible eating stuff, whatever. If you have a bad day, whatever, move past it, just get back on the wagon. Diet breaks, stuff I've written about, we won't really have time to get into. But one thing that dieters I think forget, because again, that false hope syndrome is, oh, it's gonna be easy this time. It was easy the last time. Yeah, the first six weeks. But then what happens? Life gets in the way. You have to prepare for contingencies. And something that I've seen occasionally people write about, but I don't think is really talked about enough. It's a two factor thing. It's called mental contrasting and implementation intentions, which I don't know if you're familiar with those and they just abbreviate it as MCII. Oh yeah. So, so what mental contrasting is, is it's when you're attempting to set a goal, you go through and you go, okay, this is what I think achieving this goal will accomplish for me. And you always start with a positive. Mm-hmm. This is a barrier I think I'll run into. Benefit, barrier, benefit, barrier. So that you are identifying very explicitly what you, because people also have false expectations. There's an older study, they ask people, what do you expect to happen when you lose weight? I'll get a better job. I'll get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Women will, look at men's bodybuilding magazines. Get abs and women will fall to your feet. No, they won't. By the time they've seen you naked, they already decided to sleep with you, right? Go. That's why the fitness industry got so furious about dad bod stuff. <laughs> nothing, no, nothing pisses off fitness people more than being told that, you know what? Women don't give a shit about your six pack. No. Anyway, so they have these, and then of course what happens? They reach their goal. Their life doesn't magically change. So it's, it's about determining what your actual, what you are expecting of I it. Mean, I did a podcast with someone and he said with their clients, he goes, we asked them seven times why they want to do this. Because that's, and, and I think that ties in with motivational interviewing, which I haven't delved into as much as I would like. That's a way of like getting to people's true motivations because what they say and what's probably really going on are not the same thing, right? Let's face it, why do most of us want to lose weight? To look better naked, don't lie to me that it's about health or blood pressure. It, rarely, right? But it, what it, whatever they. So they asked him, you know. So that's what mental con. But the key thing with that is now you've identified the barriers. Sorry, go ahead.
0: The, the I wrote an article a few years ago. What why it makes all the difference? That was a, the actual like yes I'm talking about. And the the thing with motivation that I found was it heavily relies on emotion. So I'm feeling good. I'm happy. I'm going to do yep. it. I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to do it. So I think sure. we need to find better foundations and better structures on that kind of
1: internal or
0: external motivation to do what we need to
1: right. do. What? Cause I, I do, I think sometimes what we say the motivation is, is not the deep possibly unconscious drive, right? From what that may you know, maybe, maybe stemming from. So, But here's where the, because what is it? Goal intentions, I think they're called. Mm -hmm. this is what people, they always say, here's what I wanna do. Um, And to me, that's noise. I've heard it for years. Oh yeah, I wanna do this. Okay. What do you plan? No, I just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wanna do this. Uh, Okay. And I, I don't, I've heard it enough to not, I just think of that as noise. I'm not saying having goals is bad clearly settings goals and what is it smart specific measurable achievable yes. realistic time constraint, whatever the hell that is I'm like, yeah, but that's those are goal intentions. They don't mean very much. So what are you going to do. How are you going to approach this goal. But what implementation intentions are is a way of we've identified a barrier. And it says it's basically an if then statement if this situation occurs, I will do this. Now realize this should always be a positive. It's not if I am hungry, I will not eat a cookie, right? That gets into the whole white elephant stuff. If I tell you don't eat a cookie, man, I want a cookie. Or even if you suppress it, you know, thought suppression, the white elephant study from way back when, is you always make it a positive. That's why with dieting, you don't focus on what you can't eat, focus on what you can eat, eat. what eat. what what you can't eat, focus on what you can eat because always you just fixate on what you keep. So it's it's that. And it can be anything, right? If I have a craving, I will go for a 10 minute walk, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But as you've identified your barriers, you are going, and the, reason, and the purpose of this gets back to the decision-making we talked about. This is all kind of coming as a big, it's a one big hole, right? So you go, right, a dinner party comes up or whatever, a work party back when you used to have those. Uh, Um, and you show up and you've made no plan. You're already exhausted from the day. Good luck, good luck making, whereas if you have already put this implementation intention in place, you've already, you don't have, it's not a decision you have to make Exactly. because it's already, it's already kind of been programmed in there. And I haven't looked at this data in a while, but like, once you like, it stays in there for a while. Because what you've done is it's now just, it's no longer you're having to make a conscious decision when it occurs. You've already put it in your head. If this happens, I will do this. And again, we'll go down to planning.
0: Right. Which is the I'm most, more, most important part. Because sometimes, is, if you're, I'm not going to say weak because people going to get angry, which I don't care. But if you think <laughs> it you cannot adhere to that, then eliminate it if that's the beginning with it. Sure.
1: It, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And this is something I think this kind of brings this full circle, which would be a good place to wrap up, which gets into something I keep meaning to write about, but I think people need to realize is dieting or even long-term eating is a learning process. Oh yeah. And I think, and what happens is people read this, ah, intermittent fasting is the way to diet. It doesn't matter what it is. And they hear this and they do it and it doesn't work for them. And they go, well, I failed. Now, maybe you did. However, maybe it wasn't right for you because every diet is right. And I've tried to do intermittent fasting off and on for years. If I do it a certain way, it works. Usually I wait till four, God, I'm not really hungry, wait till six, seven, now I'm starving, now I go to the all you can eat buffet. If I eat a normal meal at four, I'm, you know whatever, I can make it work. Generally speaking, I just spread my meal because what people forget is if there were a single best way to diet, we would know what it was by now. Any diet you name, any dietary pattern, any eating pattern, whether it's daily distribution, weekly distribution, monthly distribution, calories, matter beyond getting enough protein, they've all worked for some people, failed for others, and been somewhere in the middle for everybody else. There are a million different strategies. And usually when people find their miracle diet, they happen to by luck or by happy accidents, find the one that fit them, whether it was food preferences, whether it was maybe they carb cycled and they happen to be like well normally I have a binge eating episode once every three days now it's like whatever it is a lot of this is a in terms of planning realizing okay these all can work these all can fail yeah you have to see if it will work or fail for you now some of it is like you said identifying ahead of time if you see a strategy and go i can't do that don't throw it out don't it's just that simple don't Right, no matter if it is the most perfect theoretical strategy on paper, doesn't mean it's good. For I don't you. care if it doesn't work for you. I don't care. I did not care what the science says. Flexible eating, and again, I was very, I was much more enthusiastic about it earlier. I have come to realize that for many people, at least in its formalized sense, the, the strategies, not the attitudes, don't work. Right, if you are someone and having a free meal where you go off your diet at night kicks you off the wagon, cool, don't do it. If having an all day, higher calorie refeed day kicks you off your diet, or you, then don't do it. It's just that simple. None of this was ever required. I felt that it was helpful. Alternately, maybe it's no right for you now. This is something else. All the flexible eaters were like, eh. Whenever I diet, I eat cookies. Like, yeah, because you were a rigid eater for a decade. You have changed your taste buds. You have changed your control patterns, your frontal cortex. Telling the beginner dieter who has all these reward pathways, insulin resistance, God knows what else is going on, taste buds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To do that is doing them a disservice. No, I'm not saying it won't work, but I'm not saying it will. And that's the realization. So I would tell people, okay, you see this strategy, you want to try it. Try it. Did it work or didn't it? If it did, great. Now, if it didn't, analyze why. Try to go look at, maybe you did intermittent fasting. Maybe you waited too late to eat, you were too hungry. For Or whatever. Maybe try it a second time. Try it a little bit differently. Did it work? What can you learn from it? And I'll talk about something drug addicted. Try to third, maybe try it a third time. And if it didn't work for you, you're done. Yeah. Right? Three, three, three times the charm. Maybe not even then. Or maybe it's not for you right now. Right? So maybe you're a beginner, overweight, low activity, insulin resistant, yada yada yada. Free meals kick you off your diet. Refeeds cause you to binge eat. Blah blah blah. Cool. Don't do them. Now maybe in 12 weeks, when your taste buds have changed, your reward system has changed, your habits have changed, a little more active. Try it again. Maybe now you can do it. Maybe you still can't. Maybe you never can if you can't. Great. Don't care. It's never required. It doesn't mean he failed. It doesn't mean it didn't work for him. Right. And just one example, and then I'll wrap this up with the whole how to deal with the failure. Uh, one of the consults I did, um, weight, fat loss is pretty easy. Maintenance was always their problem. And you know, what is our tip? Uh, just eat at maintenance every day. And for a lot of people that's no go. Maintenance is a lot harder than active fat loss sometimes. Fat loss is a target. Weight gain is a target, maintenance is just this nebulous gray area. And I talked to her about this and she said, look, during the week, get up, I do my workout. I'm at work, it's scheduled at five o'clock, I'm done. Those days are structured for me. On the weekends, forget it. Because I wanna be able to eat with my husband's, I'm gonna say my father-in-law, we cook together. I don't have to think about it because I can't. I'm either dieting or I'm not dieting. There is no middle ground. Now, if I was a much more traditional person, I would go, eh, suck it up, buttercup, make it work. But that's not workable. That would be bad advice. Duchesne, one of my favorite quotes said, good advice not followed is bad advice. Yep. And that has stuck with me. It's a great quote. Yeah. Because the best theoretical advice in the world is not good if the person can't or won't do it. So I said, cool, Maintain just diet during the week. Don't worry about it and what she'd found for herself was if she dieted for five days and ate freely for two she would stabilize oh okay she would basically offset the week with the weekend i said cool here's your active fat loss six days of dieting one day don't worry about it maintenance five and two if your weight starts to go up beyond a certain point go back to six and one boom done right that and i'm not saying that's right for anyone listening to this I'm saying that was right for her, given what she told me about her situation. Another situation guy, and he had a terrible night shift gig at a hospital. Right, I could not give him a macro plan. I could not get because he's like, I don't know what the cafeteria will have on a given day. Now, harden would go get up, do your meal prep, do your Tupperware, Eh, bullshit. Works for some. It wasn't realistic, so we had to work within those parameters to find a workable. So all of these things trial and error and every single one of us, anyone you talk to in the fitness industry or anyone who's lost weight and maintained it successfully will have their own set of strategies. Our individual strategies may be totally different. Okay. I found out the hard way what works for me and I said, can't get cookies in the, cookies in the house. You know what works for you? These folks, know. there are commonalities, right? We look at the, the weight maintainer literature, they tend to be highly active, eat consistently, weigh regularly, et cetera. Like there are common behaviors, but beyond that, it's all so negotiable. So the final thing I think to talk about, and this is something that comes out of the drug addiction literature was how to deal with I'm going to use the word failure, but it's stronger than, than what I want to say. In the drug addiction, they, they refer to it very clinically as the, um, abstinence violation effect when you fail to abstain from drugs and the ave and basically you've been on the wagon for some period of time and stuff happens you have a bad day you have a stressful one, whatever you end up in the wrong environment many things can happen you fall off the wagon i'm ne- i've never been clear why that what that phrase where that derives from quite honestly it's probably something way back in the day right now how you handle that very much determines your chances of success if you internalize that as a personal failure, you tend to cause, you know, what they used to cause them, call them pop psychology, the shame spiral.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a failure.
1: I suck. I'm weak. I can't do this. Ow. You tend to relapse. Now the way they put it and realize this is part of there, there's a lot going on in addiction literature and trust me, this is not my expertise. Dr. Jason if you want to get into this. Um, you know where they're sort of it's like oh it's not a disease and it's then i'm not getting into that and if you're familiar with 12-step programs there's very much a i'm putting my behavior in a higher responsibility it used to be the christian god and now it's just they kind of chilled it for the modern era and and it's very much taken i i see where they're going with that i don't personally that doesn't work for me to go uh like to me my failures are my failures yeah but I'm not dealing with drug addict, right? I get where they're coming from. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. That's how they approach it, works for some, that's all I'm gonna say. But if after your absence violation, you look at it as, the way they would put it is like, okay, it was something out of my control, it was something, you know. I would say, look at what happened. How do you avoid that in the future? Learn from it. Learn from, again, I'll call it a mistake, call it a failure. Did you choose to put yourself in an environment Did your friend basically bully you into going to the bar? Right. I had a friend who's had been sober, was dating someone who he was not a good person. Got her to the bar, kept pressuring her. Come on. Just one drink. One drink won't kick her off the wagon. Now it's very easy. I mean, yeah. Should she have told him to go ask himself? Probably she didn't. Right. I'm not going to get into blame.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. He was, you know, to me, it's always two-way three again. That's a whole nother charged issue. He was wrong, whatever. What can she learn from that? Well, A, <laughs> dump him, number one. But I, I know people that were trying to get sober and their friends are like, ah, just come out drinking. One drink can't hurt you. No, yes, yes, it can. When you're an addict, it absolutely can. Because that one drink, suddenly you wake up three days later having blacked out. There is no, when, when a true addiction there is no just one drink there is no just one hit there is no just one
0: that's why the environment that's, plays a huge role as well
1: correct those. and it's and it's awful right if and, i mean i've known people i knew someone that quit heroin they're like i don't know how to have fun sober they had to cut off contacts with all their friends because all their friends were still using you cannot be around the environment you cannot go you cannot do that plus they' dissociated from
0: the the actual person they were because they don't remember the person they are because they only remember
1: the person. Sure. Hi. Yeah, I mean one of the most interesting things this is years ago I read to, to the effect of the easiest time to change behavior is when you change environment. When you move to a new house, move to a new state, go yeah. to college because we have so many unconscious triggers just in our house, just in our environment that we're not even consciously aware of. When you go somewhere new, you can reboot the system. But yes, being around these people that you associate with drug use They've even shown people that are, tr- are serious drug addicts, if you show them video of someone using, their emotional memory center lights up and it generates a craving. That's how powerful this is. Again, it's e- it's easier with drugs in the sense that you can simply, with food it is much harder. But again, like I think there's a guy on my forum years ago and he'd failed over and over and over again. He'd been dieting for two weeks. He's like, got invited to a buffet, I'm gonna go. I said, dude, don't do it. Because what do you mean? I go, you're not ready. Don't. Do it, And he did, and he came back and it's and I go, you, why wouldn't you listen to me? Right, even for people like ex-alcoholics, some of them can eventually get to the point where they can be in a bar and have a mineral water. Some can get there. Some may never get there, right? For some, never is never is never. That depends on, but I think usually the people that do get there, that's years. And if you talk to addicts, they're never cured. It's they usual. are controlling it. It has
0: to do with the prefrontal cortex, as I said, plus with the hypothalamus, that if they uh, stop drinking or they stop their addiction regarding of a massive shock that happened, then it's a lot easier for them to quit and do what you said, you can go in a bar and sure. get water rather than the people that just had to.
1: Yeah, no, I, yes, exactly. But it does, it takes years and years and years of practice. And true addicts will tell you they fight some amount of urge every day ex-smokers can't i mean if they even see someone smoke like oh yeah yeah, they fight against it every single day because it never goes and it's no different than mental illness and again i speak of someone who's bipolar and medicated there this never goes away i mean i have to you learn how to manage it It's the best you can do And whether it's medication whether it's i've got a support network of people that know what to look for in case i feel like i'm sp- to see if i'm spinning off the rails etc cetera, etc cetera. it's the same thing here food is harder because you have to eat. And just as an interesting sub point, (laughs) and then we can, I think we should probably probably enough. If you look at the quote unquote most successful dieters, let's just pretend that physique athletes, they are certainly the most successful acutely. What do they do? They avoid all social interaction. They never leave the house. They prepare all their food. They don't, I mean, you do, they go watch, they go look at food porn on Instagram, but basically they they avoid all of the environmental behaviors that make it so much harder for, what's that? No triggers. Right, but that is not a realistic way for anybody to live ever so you have to find ways to manage it and yeah maybe it means you don't ever get to go to the all you know all you can eat buffet with your friends maybe and fine so they go hey let's go have dinner cool let's go to an actual like a regular restaurant right i for years i spent time in some say unsavory environments and once i got my stuff dealt with i simply never went back in and for man for the first year the urge every night to just go just go. And I would force myself to just stay at home till it was too late and I'd go to sleep. And it's gotten easier every year. And then a buddy of mine who lives up in Houston, he goes, dude, get together for dinner. Let's meet at one of the, let's meet there, at the local version. I'm not at strip clubs, by the way, I might as well just say it. He goes, and I go, no, I go, I can't, I'm not, I can't dabble. I'm not, I, if I go in there, I will relapse. I've learned this the hard way. I cannot have exposure to it at all. But with food, it is much harder. But yeah, maybe you don't do that. Maybe you you know don't, be, like you can, the, you know, the old idea, ah, if you're invited to a dinner party, make your own healthier, like don't make black bean brownies. Don't be that guy, don't, don't do that shit. But like, fine, bring something healthier for you to eat. For stuff like that, go, okay, what's the strategy? Maybe I entered the fast. Okay, I did that, I overate. Maybe I fill up on a high protein meal an hour out. When you go, go ahead and have lots of protein and veggies and then have a piece of cake once you're full. Don't, you know, make, learn how to manage that or just do it and don't worry about it. Get on with your life. It's one day, which I think also goes to the whole, again, we could talk about this for hours, all the things people do that in the big picture are doing more harm than good. Thinking that one day matters, thinking that because even with with long-term weight maintenance, going, okay, I lost 10 kilos. We gained a kilo back, might as well quit, lost all my results. No, you didn't. You're you're nine kilos ahead. And then you get into self-efficacy and self-determination theory. And look, you know what to do because you did it. Just do it again for two weeks. You know, my suggestion, read a paper, set maintenance at one to 3% over your current body weight. That's your red line. If you hit that, get it together because you're slipping. Nobody maintains a perf, everyone does this, but if it's doing this, because if you wait till you've regained five out of 10 kilos, you'll go, I spent months, catch it early. The same person I told you about the five days dieting, et cetera. I said, look, she was a spreadsheet person. She was neurotic. Even she reminded me of me when I was younger. (laughs) Oh no, it's great. I said, I told her, I go, look, let's call it what it is. You're neurotic. She goes, fine. I said, look, on your spreadsheet where you track your weight, put a big red line at the three per two, 3%, pick your number, you know kilo and a half over your goal if that line gets there get it back to you. Bef- don't wait until you're double or triple that because now you've lost all your progress Yeah. get it early that's where regular monitoring etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's all these strategies that if you look at successful the generalistic of weight maintainers they do these things if you look at the majority of people failing they're not doing these things it's creating a bright line as you said before uh yeah well now one especially it's like bright line i will not go above this weight or this I had a buddy years ago and he's like i have a 32 inch belt or a certain belt if it goes past this hole i go on a diet this is the way i make sure right. i never get past that point yep. so, so yeah so so yes i think it's a combination of things i think to very much sum up obviously you need to pick a reasonably set up diet he's a deficit he's have enough protein Everything else is negotiable based on food preferences and activity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Activity certainly helps for a number of reasons not worth getting into, but yeah, have a specific goal, manage expectations, both in the short and the long term, prepare for eventualities. Don't wait for them to come up. So when they come up and you get kicked off your diet, you feel guilt, you feel like I'm a failure, figure out either based on past experience or current lifestyle, what is possibly going to get in your way and find, it's better to work out ahead of time how you're going to deal with it, whether as part of the plan implementation intentions by putting that in your head, this is how I will address the situation because then it's automatic. Then it doesn't have to rely on mental will, on, on, you know, figure out your own eating strategies that work for you to maintain in the long term. Realize that long-term maintenance, again, it's a process. There is variance, set an upper limit. If you hit it, if you, ca- you. catch it early, it takes you a few weeks to get back if you wait, it takes you months and you feel like you've doubled your dieting time. So um, will this guarantee people will succeed? No, I firmly believe there is an inherent biology that makes behavior change hard. I don't know exactly what the driver of it is, but it clearly, if you look at the statistics on behavior change, they're almost equally appalling across domains, food, alcohol, smoking, it's about the same success rate. So either the strategies we're using are all wrong, or there is some inherent component of human biology that is, whether it's just habit, behavior, the brain is only so plastic, so much malleability, it could be any number of things, and I don't know what it is, but there's clearly room for vast improvement here. And if we can figure out what that commonality is across domains, that should certainly improve results. I don't think we'll ever get 100%. That would be idealistic and utopian. But even if we can get better than we're doing. So
0: Lau, well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Looking forward for the things we're gonna be doing in the future as well. And I'm looking forward to the second volume for uh, the woman's book. <laughs> yeah, aren't we all <laughs> um, We'll uh, wrap this up. Thank you again for your time. uh, Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to uh, chatting to you again.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much.